Hi, True Crime Family. I'm K Mac. And I'm the answer. And from Iowa, which is very applicable to the case today, we have. It's Aaron. This is Bad Human. Hi, true crime family. Welcome to Bad Human, a true crime podcast where we discuss those that fall below. How many? This is episode 47. I thought it was more than that. Actually, Those humans that reside at the bottom, bottom of the morale. This is why you're not on the payroll. Well, none of us are on the payroll. You like, read we it don't off have a... any sponsors. <laughs> I like how you're saying I should know it by now. You read it off a script. It's not even on the script. It's like, it right literally there on the script. Oh, my God. This is going to turn into therapy, Aaron. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to like be giving <laughs> some advice. There are two couches down here we can lay down. We have to do the usual real quick. Please, if you're not, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at badhumanpod. We really enjoy the commentary, the feedback, your thoughts on the episodes, both positive and negative, because all feedback is a gift. Mm. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed or left a review. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual suspects. Usual suspects. We appreciate it. We say it every episode, but we really mean it. We do this podcast because we're passionate about sharing victim stories. And so anytime that you follow or subscribe it makes us feel good because we want you to enjoy this experience we want to thank our best friend tom of myspace for having our backs as well you just did that joke in the last episode too and it, again i just said you, myspace i didn't have people up, listening like what the fuck is myspace i didn't bring up, I didn't bring up tom yeah. who is everybody's friend there's one guy named tom that works at myspace because that's probably one employee left at myspace no one even uses <laughs> it anymore on Anyways, we're going to get right to it before you hit that 30-second forward button, if you haven't already. We dare you. Any other jokes that you want to, dad jokes you want to share before we go? Knock, knock. I'm kidding. At 7 a.m. on June 10th, 2012. This case also, you've read the book. I read the book. The Man man on the Train. Here, hold on a second. Aaron, scoot the mic. There you go, girl. We want to hear what you have to say. Plus, you're not as loud as Andrew and I. (laughs) We could probably move our microphones back and be just fine. (laughs) We probably don't even need the microphone. (laughs) We could just talk out loud and it somehow get recorded. Yes, it was the man on the train, although it's been a little while, so... I think it will come back to you. I think it will, This one, this case, we're going to go through the crime, and then there's probably going to be two parts to this. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Then it becomes a whodunit situation. If you're not familiar with the case, which you know what it is because you read it in the title, really, really curious to hear your thoughts. So please, if you're not, again, go to Instagram. I'm not, this isn't me begging for followers. I want to know who you think did it. Who done it? We'll post some photos of the case in the comment section. Again, would love to hear what you think. I have my thoughts. Aaron, you have yours. Andrew, if we have time left and we're still interested, we'll ask you what your thoughts are too. All right, I'm going to go make a sandwich. Go call Tom. <laughs> At 7 a.m. on June 10th, 1912, Mary Peckham became concerned after she noticed that the family who lived next door had not come out to do their morning chores. Hmm. The neighbors, the Moore family, consisted of parents Josiah, which he was called Joe, aged 43, Sarah, 39, and their four children, Herman, who was 11, Mary Catherine was 10, Arthur was 7, and Paul was 5. They were considered an affluent family, 
and were well-known and well-liked in their community. Mary knocked on the Moore's door, and when nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discovered it was locked, which this was pretty uncommon, typically in this day and age. People didn't really lock their doors. Mm -hmm. So that was odd to her at Very first. small little farming town. Yeah. 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 She did the neighborly thing by letting the chickens out. Whoa. I mean, that's a good neighbor. I'll tell you what, Aaron, if like we ever come neighbor. over one day and you aren't there, we'll let your chickens, chickens out. out. Thank yeah. you. After doing that, she called Josiah's brother, Ross, uh, to see if he could come over because she was concerned. He said, sure, I'll come over and check out the scene. Like Mary, Ross received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He had a spare key, so he unlocked the front door and went into the house. Mary stood on the porch. Ross went into the parlor. This never ends well, by the way. If you are the person walking into a home that you just have a feeling is a crime scene or something's not right, don't do it don't because do it. Uh, don't do it. Don't be the first person. You can't tell me you have a house full of four young kids and parents who are normally up at the crack of dawn and there's total silence coming from the house that nothing's wrong. Hmm. Hard pass. He opened the guest bedroom door first. This is, and this is, we're going to get into the case now. So just, I mean, I think every episode is just a trigger alert period, but this is a very graphic description of what happened. And it involves children, which these cases are always extremely hard, but it's an interesting case and very curious. It needs to be solved too. So maybe, maybe someone who listens to the podcast will help solve it. He opened the first uh, guest bedroom door where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. They were two young girls who had been there for a sleepover, which we'll get to that in a little bit about why they were there. But essentially, they were friends with the younger girls. They had been there for a sleepover. Ross immediately told Mary to call Henry Hank Horton, a Velisca's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly thereafter. His search of the house revealed... The entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon was an axe belonging to the dad and was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. Ina, 8, and Lena, 12, were friends of Mary Catherine and had been invited over for a sleepover. That evening, the girls in the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah coordinated. After the program ended at 9.30, the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving home between 9.45 and 10. Let's get into the details of the murder, which, Aaron, you and I talked about this. This There's, like, some fucked up crime scenes. These people, when we get to, like, the details of <laughs> not only the crime scene, but how it was treated. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just Oh, wait. so I better buckle in, huh? I don't I mean, you can do whatever you want, but... We're going to keep going. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. I've read that this is controversial, that there were two smoked cigarettes in the attic, suggesting the killer or killers had patiently waited until the family was asleep. According to the tour, there were no cigarettes found. Some people said there were cigarettes found. Based on how this crime scene was protected, I'm not shocked that nobody knows. I mean, it could have been a cigarette from somebody who was just walking around the bodies because we'll get to that here in a minute. And you say tour because the home is open for tours. Mm. Yeah. And you can even spend the night. No way. <laughs> I won't no. do it either. You can't get me <laughs> drunk <laughs> enough. Book no. It. 
book it. Uh-uh. No, you can't get me drunk enough to sleep. And and no, that's absolutely not. One of our friends, he supposedly has a ghost that lives in his house. And I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I hope he's nice and I don't want to mess with that. Like, I don't, I don't fuck with that. Um, like I said, there's conflicting stories of the killers were in the attic puffing dirts, but then they came down from the attic or entered the home. The door was unlocked. Mm-hmm. Shortly after midnight, uh, they entered through the unlocked door. Um, again, regardless of how they got in there, they hypothesized that the killer, by the way, this isn't like the top brass, I think, that was investigating this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of how they got in there, they said the killer took an oil lamp from a nearby table turning the burn so low that it was like barely lit for one person to be able to navigate around the house. So in on one hand, he has the lamp, he, they, she, whoever it was, um, lighting through the home. The other hand, he had the ax. Ignoring the sleeping girls downstairs, interesting, going right past that room, he made his way. I'm going to say his for a pronoun, but just understand that no one has been found guilty of this. So it could have been a woman. I don't know. Uh, made their way up the stairs, guided by the lamp, which would lead you to believe that they had knowledge of the home's layout. The killer crept past the room with the children and went directly into uh, Mr. and Mrs. Moore's bedroom. So, again, it makes you think, did they know the layout of the home? And they knew exactly where to go first to take out the parents, who are probably like the, the biggest Moscow, threat. The Idaho murders. You know what? That's true. Yeah, when he like went right past. Mm-hmm. Well... I mean, not innocent until proven well, guilty. Yes. Okay, yes, but, but. <laughs> uh, all signs are pointing to though. Yeah. You never know. Guilty. That's a good point, though. I mean, knowing like the layout of the home, but it depends on who you think the killer is, right? Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. The killer went uh, again past the two girls sleeping downstairs, up the steps, past all the kids into the parents' room to eliminate the biggest threat first. After that, so basically he went into the room, went after Josiah first. They said he received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes were missing. And they like all of these faces. And which one was it? There was only one where they used the sharp part of the axe. I think it was the wife. I think the wife, yeah. And then the rest of the victims, they used the blunt side of the axe and just mm-hmm. beat their faces in. Just absolutely destroyed them. The ceiling in the room also had a gouge mark from where the murderer had lifted. This is important um, when you get to the potential suspects later. The ceiling in the room had a gouge mark from where the murderer had lifted the axe. So it lends you to think they might be a taller person, even though the ceilings weren't as tall, right, in older homes. They determined that he had been hit more than 30 times. The killer then turned the blade on Sarah um, and then would go into the other children. I'm not going to go into details about the kids, but he took out the whole family. After that, they theorized that the murder went back to the master bedroom to inflict more blows to the parents, knocking over a shoe that had filled with blood before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and then killing Ina and Lena. What was it disturbing? And also this comes into play, and especially in the book that you read, Aaron, like the rituals, that this individual had Mm -hmm. first there was a four pound slab of bacon taken out of the ice box that was wrapped in a towel and laid next to a keychain that did not belong to the family Hmm. investigators also found untouched food and bloody water during the search which lends itself to the theory that the killer 
potentially made themselves a plate of food but didn't eat it, also attempted to wash the blood off of themselves. The murderer also had searched dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover mirrors in the house and the glass in the entry doors. They went through each room in the house, covering all the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. To take the time to do all of that. And I wonder if that was before or after. I don't know. We'll never know. But No sense of urgency here, though, to get out. I would assume, yeah, after. I'm surprised he didn't take the chickens out, too. <laughs> I mean, clearly there's no hungry. hurry. Yeah, he, he was. He I mean, was, not to mock this like terrible death, but it's like this daylight. person yeah. is like clearly in no no hurry, no. and we're not even done yet. Mm-hmm. He then covered the parents with sheets and the kids' faces with clothing. When they were done, the killer took the keys and locked the door behind them. This is a little much. Um, I'll just kind of go quickly past this. Investigators believed all the victims except for Lena had been asleep when murdered. They thought she was awake because she had tried to fight back. She was found lying crosswise on the bed with a defensive wounds on her arms. Her nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments. However, they did say that later speculation that there had been an assault was proven to not have happened. Not that everything else wasn't completely terrible, yeah. but yeah. Um, this is when it gets really good. So let's talk about the crime scene. So you, you have this family that has been brutally massacred. You've called the police, which I would believe in 1912 in a town this small, they're probably not trained for this type of crime. I don't, I don't think they go through like probably drills. One of the first murders ever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I don't think they practice. Like every couple of weeks, like, all right, we're going to do our full family murder drill. Everyone go. By the time that the police, the coroner, the minister, and several doctors had thoroughly like checked out the crime scene and the victims, word of the crime had spread, and there was a crowd outside the home. Officials cautioned the townspeople against going inside, but as soon as the premises was cleared, at least 100 townspeople just went into the house and walked around the blood-spattered home. First of all... <laughs> What? When is it a suggestion? Like, yeah. You don't suggest to stay the fuck out of the crime scene. You don't just walk up, like, past the tape, tape. and you're like, hey, mm, yeah, I see the tape, but I'm going to go. Don't worry. I'm I'm a citizen. I can walk through. I pay my taxes. Somebody didn't charge entry fee or something. Be like, hey, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because, you know what someone did do, and we talked about this. Somebody took a fragment of the dad's skull as a keepsake. Why? How disrespectful to this family that's already been through this. And you have people just, I mean, talk about a contaminated crime scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you even wonder what part of the evidence at the scene is even valid. I'm not, I mean, I'm not really shocked that this case hasn't been solved. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, there's so much now DNA and everything up there. The police had few leads. And please, like, anything you know about the case, jump in. This is, like, if I'm missing things, because you know this case well, too. Was that a cousin of yours? (laughs) No, I was just gonna. I was thinking, though, about my great-great-grandmother, though, how, you know, they were trying to find out who the identity was, and, like, 300 people walked through the morgue just out of curiosity, basically. I mean, they, you didn't, there weren't 300 people that had someone missing that match that no they wanted to see they it just wanted to go through this. it's yeah, people's it's very similar fascination mm-hmm. with this the same reason why people were just walking around a crime scene where there's blood and 
grabbing skull fragments and mm-hmm. make a necklace or something out of it. Yeah. I mean, police had a few leads. Now, keep in mind that Velisca is on the railway. So there were a few theories. First was maybe it was a transient killer who had just jumped on and off the train, which we'll get to that in a little bit. And here in the book that you read, mm-hmm. there was no sign of the murder's whereabouts anywhere. Theories were thrown out that he may have vanished just back into his own home. Equally, he had about a five-hour head start, which, you know, there are nearly 30 trains a day that are going in and out of the town. Could you have hopped around a train and gone? Bloodhounds were uh, brought, but there was no success there. Which also, what scent are you looking for? exactly. Like you just said, how many people went through the scene? Yeah. That dog was probably just walking through the city going up to every single person Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. their scent was in the house. The dog's did go towards one certain house but there was nothing it was probably the skull fragment people yeah didn't lead to anything Mm -hmm. uh what i thought was interesting is first that the weapon was used at the house it was the dad's axe so typically if it's a premeditated crime they're going to bring their weapon with them not risk something not being there also though axes were pretty prevalent during this time i mean there's a lot of like you know chopping wood and like it was a tool i think that was used pretty frequently Mm -hmm. so the assumption or the person knew because they'd scouted out the family and the residents that there was going to be an axe there let's talk about some possible suspects and theories (laughs) this is going to be fun yeah so the first so i'm going to talk about a few but then i'm going to turn over to you to talk about especially what's covered in the book. book okay So the first was Frank Jones. So this was thought to be potentially the most obvious. He was a local businessman and a state senator who was also a member of the Methodist Church. Uh, Edgar Epperly, who was um, the leading authority on the murders, which way to go, Edgar. Bang up Jeff. Sure, he got promoted after this. Reports the town quickly split along religious lines. Remember that Josiah and the family were Presbyterian. Frank was a Methodist. So now we have some religious lines being drawn. Though never formally charged with involvement in the murders, Jones became the suspect of a grand jury investigation and a prolonged campaign to prove his guilt, which completely destroyed his political career. Many townspeople were certain that he used his influence um, and status to get the case against him ixnayed. Mm -hmm. I can see that. There were two reasons that people believed that he was a potential suspect and had hatred for Josiah, Joe, and the family. First, Joe had worked for him for seven years, was a superstar salesman of Jones Farm Equipment business, but Josiah had left in 1907 and this really pissed him off. He didn't like the fact that Frank was a shitty boss, made them work like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., six days a week. He also, when he left, took the John Deere account with him. Oh, no. So I'm sure that really chapped Frank's ass for sure. And that's a huge account. I mean, I'm sure even in 1912. Oh, yeah. Well, that's still around today, uh, so you know it's a big yeah. account. Iowa farming. Yeah. Ooh. Worse, Joe was believed to have slept with Frank's daughter-in-law, a local beauty woman uh, whose numerous affairs were well-known, she basically gave like zero shits and she would just ring people up about like her rendezvous. And this was back when Velisca, you had to use like the phone and have the operator connect you. So, I mean, everybody it, heard everybody's business. Yeah. When you could basically pick up the phone and just hear like what other people were talking about. So she was 
planning some trysts in the sheets, and uh, apparently Josiah was a frequent flyer. Wow. By 1912, relations between the two had grown so cold that they began to, like, wouldn't even, like, cross the street next to each other. There was obviously contention, um, so it was not a good situation. Which, I mean, if he thought he was, like, boning his daughter-in-law, like, I get that. Like, that probably... Anyways, another theory tied to Jones is that he hired William Mansfield to murder the family. So nine months before the Velisca murders, and this is where, Aaron, I'm going to want your help because it kind of goes into the other cases that had happened. Mm -hmm. A similar case of axe murders had occurred in Colorado Springs. There were two other cases, and we'll get into details here in a minute, in Ellsworth, Kansas, and then another one, I think it's Paola, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. Um, there were other murders reported, which we'll get to in a little bit, but they basically were all kind of along the South Pacific Railroad um, that were unsolved. Like, apparently, axes, I didn't realize that was the go-to murder weapon <laughs> back in 1912. It sounds well, like, what else would you really like hide yeah, your kids, hide your wives. Like, especially in, yeah, in Iowa, in farming community, yeah. that's, that's your main tool you can use it for a little, all sorts of things yeah i guess i mean the murders in colorado springs were closely related in execution to those in the moore house hc wayne his wife and child and mrs aj burnham were found dead and murdered by axes bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent passerbys from looking in similar to the moors the murder hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows Mansfield was also a prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency in Kansas City, and Detective James Newton Wilkerson suggested that he was a cocaine-addicted serial killer, <laughs> which is quite the combo. He's a double-threat guy. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, also, he was known to be this, then why the fuck wasn't he in prison? Like, I mean... Yeah, it was well-known. That's, oh, that's, that's, yeah. that's just a Tuesday for him. According to the news, so Wilkerson, right, Detective James Newton Wilkerson from Kansas City, believed that Mansfield was responsible for not only that, but the axe murders of his wife, his infant child, a father-in-law and a mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois, on July 5th, 1914, so two years after... And the axe murders that occurred in Paola, Kansas, four days before. I think a lot of it, though, is they just wanted someone to be responsible. Yeah. That they felt like they had to blame someone, whether they were actually guilty or not. Yeah. Just to say they solved it. Don't worry. You're fine. Maybe you try and squeeze the, a If you live confession. along the train track, you're good. Oh, I bet you could get a house <laughs> real cheap on the train tracks after oh, that. Yeah. Nope. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of the differing crimes um, on the night of the murders. Again, just to recap, in each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe. I mean, this MO does seem very specific, though. Like, not just the axe, but the mirrors were covered. Again, there was a basin, you know, a bowl found where the murderer had washed their hands off with blood. And usually their own axe as well. Not this guy would... Or perpetrator was not carrying around their own weapon it correct usually to the which maybe that's so they could be more agile and get on and off the trains they yeah. have to be just walking around downtown with like a bloody axe <laughs> yep well and that would be a little alarming <laughs> how well done was fingerprints back then well funny that you should ask and the murder <laughs> in each case the murder avoided leaving fingerprints by what they assume were wearing gloves although i mean you had a hundred people walking around you know taking yeah. bones fragments out of people's 
primary bedroom, so I strongly doubt that there would be a lot to the fingerprints. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery Court from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided, which I'm sure those were really robust in, like, there's a digital <laughs> footprint to make sure those were legit. <laughs> Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Villisca murders. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded $2,000, which would be about sixty grand today. Ooh. Wilkerson believed that the pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield being released, but also we'll get to uh, good old Reverend Kelly in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But first, well, first let's, let's go next to Paul Mueller. So in 2017, there was a book written called the man from the train of which Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James discussed the Villisca murders as part of a larger series of murders they believe were completed by a serial killer. They conclude the murder was Paul Mueller, an immigrant possibly from Germany, who was the subject of an unsuccessful year-long manhunt as the sole suspect in the 1897 murder of a family in Westbrook, Massachusetts, who employed him as a farmhand. So you want to take this? this? <laughs> sure. Okay. So, yes, I did read the book. Um, I would recommend it if you're more interested in this case and learning a few more details about the actual Velisca murders and then everything that they attribute to this potential serial killer. Um, the one thing I didn't like about the book is it jumps around a lot. You would kind of think it would be chronological and it wasn't, um, but still really good. They also go into some cases that they go into great detail and they're like, yeah, but it wasn't him. It's like, why did you just... So tell me about it. Sounds like sounds like Bill and Rachel no, need, to, need to work oh, on the writing. Yes, I think I gave it maybe a three and a half on my Goodreads app. Um, but again, it three point five isn't. No, it wasn't. Oh. It wasn't bad. Um, but yeah, the Paul. I mean, so they really think. And if you follow a lot of the tracks, um, you look at the time of year that these murders occurred, and it usually was warmer months. So, which leads to the fact that potentially it was a migrant worker following along, you know, looking for jobs on the southern tracks of the railroad. Um, and definitely a lot of coincidences or just plans where, like you said, the mirrors covered. Yeah. Several instances where an oil lamp was left. Yeah. In a certain area, um, there's definitely a small wick again, too. Like, like, yeah, so it'd be like low light. And obviously moved from where it should have been um there was even one woman who they're pretty sure he almost killed and then she saw somebody out her window and he probably went across the street and killed some neighbors instead oh. um, well listen you have to be just faster <laughs> than one other person no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just exactly yeah so it was i mean it's definitely good and then there's different parts too where they thought okay well how did this person get back on the train they had to be covered in blood yeah but some instances they did find you know maybe some clothing that had been discarded along the side of the railroad so another hint that this person probably i mean, I mean the clues are kind of there somewhere and yeah and changed on their way 
ran out of the house, changed quick and hopped back on the train. Because that's the other thing is there's nobody that came up and said, hey, I keep seeing this guy covered in blood on a train. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe also why they were hanging out at the house for a while as they were waiting for the train to come through because they knew the train schedule. Mm -hmm. And then they could just Mm -hmm. hop on it. Exactly. Well, and they say that basically, so the Jameses, so Bill and Rachel believe that Paul Mueller was guilty of the murders as part of a killing spree that lasted over a decade, mm-hmm. killing at least 59 people in Ooh. 14 separate incidents, including the Colorado Springs crime, like the Paola, Kansas crime. James identified, um, they identify the common features that we talked about that were consistent. So it does definitely seem like there's someone that has a certain MO. They selected families that were near the railroad tracks they would ambush them at night while they were asleep. They would use the blunt side of the axe instead of the sharp side. Um, again, except for the mom. They used the axe, found the victim's home. They left the murderer apparently in plain sight, covering them with blankets, locking the door. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing. Always locking the door. Behind yeah. Them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a detective, but it seems like there are some compelling things in there that Pattern. may yep. that maybe. So that was that was another person that was suspected. This one that we're going to get to right now, Reverend George Kelly, this guy's a fucking nut job, but I I don't even see how he was really involved, a suspect. I mean, we'll get to because he opened his big mouth and <laughs> whatever, but this he guy, a- no, no, <laughs> he was an English born minister who was in town the night of the murders. He was described as peculiar um, reported having supposedly a mental breakdown as an adolescent. Uh, he was 5'2 and weighed 120 pounds. So let's just stop there for a minute. 5'2, 120 pounds. And we talked about at the murders, there was the axe mark in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you you're 5'2, yeah. And I mean, you're telling me that you're like, probably soaking wet a buck 20 yeah and you're gonna like go around this house and take out like the dad the mom drag this act i don't know i just Mm -hmm. i just can't imagine all 120 pounds of him swinging this axe around Mm -hmm. but again you know I'm, i'm not really tracking how he pulled it off as an adult he was accused of essentially being a pervert like a window peeper several times he asked young women and girls to pose nude for him and this guy gives me like the creeps Mm -hmm. he's nasty on June 8th, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach the children's day service, which was the service of the Moore family had attended with the, the daughter's two friends. He left town between 5 and 5.50 a.m. on June 10th, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered. It was reported that on the train he had a conversation with a couple and during the friendly chat mentioned the horrific murders had just taken place. Now, keep in mind, this is two hours before the bodies had been discovered. The couple would later recant these statements. Additionally, it was said that he had sent some clothing to a nearby town for dry cleaning because it had blood on it. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to police and investigators and family of the deceased. This raised a little suspicion, but also we're currently on a true crime podcast talking about (laughs) the case. We've read books about the case. And so... (laughs) I don't know if him being interested in the murder makes him a suspect. suspect. Yep. Otherwise, yep. we're going to jail probably. Yeah. <laughs> don't look at my search history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, I, th- not a day goes by that I'm not just waiting for the FBI <laughs> just to show up with a few questions. 
At least questions. Yeah. So Reverend Kelly was pen paling the shit out of everybody about like, hey, this is going on, whatever. This again aroused suspicion. There was a PI that wrote back to him asking for more details that he may know about the murders. Kelly replied back in great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and witnessed the murders. Again, let's remember that he was known for potentially having some mental defect, right? I don't know how... It makes me think of making a murder, Brandon Dassey, mm-hmm. when they interviewed him and he was just diminished his mental capacity and he started like saying things. He just wanted the police to leave him alone, which it mm-hmm. sounds like in the interrogations that will come later, it almost kind of got to that. Also, I mean, this guy, if he's not like, you know, if he's missing a few crayons out of the pack, I mean, maybe he's wants to be a part of something, you know, it's people... False confess all the time. You know, other law enforcement could have gossiped along and spread news at the Yeah, I'm not feeling a lot of confidentiality (laughs) in this case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are having like a 50-50 raffle out in the front yard. (laughs) I mean, just disgusting. It's terrible. So like I said, Kelly replied to the PI uh, saying he heard sounds, um, that he had different details about the murder. Two years later, in 1914, he was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. That's nuts to think about. Yeah, that's all you had to do. You have to like take a picture. Like, how do you? How would you like send nudes back then? Yeah, like you take a picture. No, the big camera. Yeah, and they blow the bulb out. You know. Yeah. I mean, how big do you think his wiener is? He blew the bulb out. <laughs> no, remember, because the flash was only like good flash. for. Oh, no, the that's flash right. was okay. only good for one picture, and then he'd have to go into his dark room. I'm like, oh my you'd god! Have to, you know, I mean, for five two, I hope it wasn't that big. Um, so for two two years later, he was arrested for sending nudie pics in the mail. He was sent to St. Elizabeth Hospital, um, a national mental hospital in D.C. Which, and I don't mean to make fun of someone who clearly has, is mentally challenged, but, um, you know, investigators speculated that, again, he could be the murderer. In 1917, so five years later, after the initial murder, he was arrested for the Velisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it was um, after many hours of interrogation. Again, they just wanted to convict. Somebody. I'm gonna guess yeah. it's probably coerced. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out. I wasn't there, but you know, I'm sure 20 other target. people were. I'm sure. Easy target. Yep. He had a written confession. He said that he saw a shadow by the Moore house while he was out walking. Something prompted him to follow it. He saw an axe. He picked it up. Then came a voice saying, "Go in and slay utterly." He crept up the stairs into the children's room. The voice came back, slay utterly, suffer little children to come unto me. He replied, yes, Lord, they're coming quick. And then he committed the murders. From there, he went to um, first Joe and Sarah's room. More work yet. There must be sacrifices of blood. He claimed he heard. He then went on to, to kill the other children. He went downstairs and discovered the Stillinger girls. The voice said more work still. Eight people were dead. He said the voice was satisfied. The next day, Kelly um, retracted the confession and said he did not remember making it. Kelly, obviously, this made a mockery of law enforcement. Like, I don't think that this was the only thing that made a mockery of law enforcement. I'm pretty sure. This was one of the things on the laundry list. Like, Uh day one, (laughs) it was already probably not going well for them. 
His first trial was a hung jury. The second trial that he was acquitted. So there goes another possible person. I can't remember, too, if they moved that trial somewhere else. I don't remember reading that. They Maybe they, that. I think they, no, you know what? I think they moved the second one because the first yeah. one was a hung jury. Okay. And I think I'm they moved it. I was thinking they moved something because so many people were. Yeah, are I think biased. that's, I think you're right. All right, we're almost done. We just got a few more people. Hang with us, everyone. Just a few. We could be here until tomorrow morning (laughs) if we were to go through every single person, but there's two more that made it to the top of the list. I just always marvel that the voices in the head tell you to do the commit heinous crimes and not, hey, go sneeze on someone's food or Or something. Or, like, here's how to cure cancer. The voice told me. (laughs) The voice gave me the proper ingredients but i mean if it is i mean if that really is the case though like how horrible to have to, to i mean to live with that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try to balance that so i, I mean i don't Especially know back then yep. yeah yep. yeah mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. henry lee moore on december now this guy is definitely a piece of shit even if he didn't do it on december 17th 1912 in boone county missouri 38 year old henry lee moore used a rusty axe to brutally murder his 36-year-old mother, Georgia, and 82-year-old grandmother, Mary Wilson. Moore, no relation to the family, Mm -hmm. from Villisca, then left the scene to return to a nearby hotel at which he said that he had been staying. At the hotel, he cleaned up, like, all the blood off of him from his mother and grandma that he just murdered, um, cleaned the blood off, and then went to bed. (laughs) How do people sleep? My work here is done. I'm going to go take a nap. It's like the other case, the, the Twilight Killer case, yeah. which we won't get into that. But I mean, how do, like, how do you either know you're going to commit murder or like you've just done it and like, oh, I just need like a tight 10 and then I'll be good. It's <laughs> wild. I don't get it. Quick nap and I'll be all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The following morning, Henry Lee Moore returned to the family home and quickly reported his ghastly discovery. To the neighbors. Ghastly. The police arrived in the scene and they went about basically, you know, asking some questions. Henry said that he had been at the hotel the night before. I'm going to guess motel (laughs) the night before. Came home in the morning and found this horrific scene. They were like, yeah, you're a liar. Yeah, we can... They soon discovered that Moore had spent the night. um, So after he basically gave his alibi um, that he basically, well, first he lied to them and said that he had just got in town that morning to celebrate Christmas. So he'd come into town like for the holidays. Then they they found out that he'd been staying at the nearby motel. On searching his room, they found items covered in blood with more blood found on the sheet. Burn the fucking evidence. I I don't get it. when questioned about the discovery, he was unable to give a response. <laughs> I don't know how you get oh, out of that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, like literally, like they're like, yes, is this your room? Yes. yes. <laughs> Are these your clothes and blood? Yes. Okay. Donezo. Sir, please come with us. Mm-hmm. He was then arrested for the Kidding murders the of his mother and grandmother. He was found guilty of the murders of his relatives in 1913. He was sentenced to life in prison. One of the men investigating the Velisca Axe murders came up with the theory that Henry was possibly the man responsible for the murders of the Moore family and other similar murders. Despite looking at Henry Lee Moore extensively, um, little in the way of evidence was ever found to link him to the other murders that took place. 
whether it be the Moore family or just that whole No, that just doesn't make sense range. though that why would you kill random people then all of a sudden your family mother and grandmother I I don't think it was him I don't think it's him either I don't think I think he sucks but I don't yeah, think it was exactly. him Yep All right last one <laughs> for today well, I'm pretty sure there were other murders with the same MO after that and he would have been in Yeah prison that's a good point because there was uh what was about 1913 i think or 14 then like yeah yeah and he was arrested in 1913 so yeah. good point and those continued and there was there. none of the same mo of like the sheets yeah. and, and what although the bacon never I, I didn't read about that anywhere else except for the moore family where the bacon was yeah, taken I out think, yeah i don't know andy sawyer Basically, at this point, if you are homeless or ride the trains, you've probably been arrested or a suspect. <laughs> As many other suspects, there was no real evidence to link him to the case, but he was, of course, detained by police because why not? According to Thomas Dyer, who was a bridge foreman for the Burlington Railroad, Andy Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. the morning of the murders. He was clean shaven and wearing a brown suit but his shoes were covered in mud and his pants were wet up to his knees. He was a shorter, uh, Dyer was short a man, so he told Andy he could work for them. Dyer testified that later that evening, the crew purchased a paper that had information about the killing on the front page and Andy showed interest. Yeah, well, so did the the yeah. woman that How took a bone fragment. Interest? Why wasn't she yeah. arrested? I mm -hmm. hope she was arrested and detained too. Ma'am? Should have been. Give us the skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes him a killer, I guess. You know, I mean, again, what would they think of us? I mean, we would definitely be imprisoned at this point. Apparently, um, the couple, uh, that with the fact that the crew, oh, the crew, sorry, I can't read my own typing. Read my own typing. I can't read my own typing. The crew complained that he slept with his clothes on, slept with an axe, and often talked about the murders, making him a prime suspect. Although Dyer did say that Sawyer told him that he had been in uh, Velisca the night of the murders and was afraid that he would be a suspect, so he left. Which, you know what? I would be afraid, too, I'd be a suspect if I had just stepped foot in Velisca that day. Oh, so yeah. I can oh, kind yeah. of understand. Yeah. Yep. That that must mean that he did it. If you had yeah, a but pulse, you might have went through the house. If you had a pulse and lived in Velisca, uh, yeah. <laughs> like you were probably at some point a suspect. Dyer's son, Jr. did testify that the crew drove through Velisca. When they drove through Velisca, as Sawyer told him... He'd show him where the man that killed the family got out of town. He said the man jumped over a manure box, crossed the railroad tracks, et cetera, whatever. Basically, Andy was cleared, though, when it was proven he had been in Osceola. Is that how you say it? Osceola, Iowa? Osceola. Osceola. Oh. Look at that. Butchered it. <laughs> how do you say it? You got owned. Osceola. 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 The night of the murders, because he had been arrested for vagrancy that evening, and the sheriff put him on a train around 11 p.m., so he could not have been there. To this day, I mean, literally, and I'm not joking, we could sit here for another probably four hours oh, going yeah. through other people who were arrested or suspected. Yep. Heck, it could be you. However, the sad thing is that to this day, and over 100 years later, um, the house still stands, but the case has never been solved. So as Aaron said, it remains a tourist attraction. People are morbidly curious. Paranormal paranormal investigators, which, nope. Um, like shows like Ghost Adventures has been in there. So all this, everything we've said, right? The, the jokes that we've made, like whatever. The fact still remains, though, at the end. that not only was this family murdered 
but there were clearly this is the work of a serial killer in my opinion and, and so there are girls, so many and, yeah and friends. children like, what are the chances that those two little girls yeah i mean you have kids too. that were just brutally massacred you know it's like and it's not just the the family the more family i mean there clearly were many other victims of what i think is a serial killer i agree mm-hmm. which you just want somebody to solve this so those families can have closure so that is the case of the Velisca axe murders. Wow. Go read The Man from the Train. Read mm-hmm. The Man from the Train. I can't read. Well, there's pictures. <laughs> You'll be fine. Is there an audio book? We will post photos on Instagram. Again, at Bad Human Pod is our handle, Bad Human Pod. Would really like to hear your feedback and theories. Or maybe we mentioned something and I was wrong. Maybe, I mean, there's so much yeah. information about there the case is. out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Like there. There's information that contradicts information. If you're familiar with this case and there are things that we didn't say, or maybe we, you read something different than what we shared today, maybe please put from, it in the you comments. Live in Villisca. Yeah, if yeah. you live in Villisca or if you're from that area. Or even if you've toured the house. Yeah. Yes. Would would absolutely love or, to hear from that or or even spent the night oh my gosh oh. if anybody out there has it. spent the night at the Velisca axe murder house we will give you a free bad human hoodie <laughs> because we're glad that you're still here <laughs> and that you're listening um, but again at the end of all of the commentary the sarcasm i mean this they the, the police this they didn't help their case no there are still though just innocent victims at the root of the case and it's It'd be wonderful if this could get solved and something else to give their families that are still around mm-hmm. closure so they at least know what happened. Agreed. Yeah. So that's it. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. And now I know how to say a new place in Iowa. <laughs> but I how didn't do you know say it? with my Wisconsin accent now. You say it first. No. I like you said I don't As- Osceola? Yes. Osceola. Suck it. <laughs> now I'll say where I'm from. I don't know. Damien just calls you cornbread. Makokita. Makokita. That's a Q. She said it before. That's where I'm from. We'll also post a photo of Aaron's shirt. And if, <laughs> if, if you are from there, we will also give you a bad human. Yeah. <laughs> You're one of the five. Um, yep. Yeah. But no, thank you all, Aaron. Thank you for joining. This case is a one of the biggest unsolved cases. It's mm-hmm. a mystery. Yeah. But really would love to hear what you all have to say and what you think. Um, and as always... Please remember to treat yourselves and each other with love, kindness, and respect. I'm K-Mac. I'm the answer. And I'm Aaron. And Get a- oh, fuck me. And this is, I was going to say, this is bad human. Good night. Say good night. 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 Bye. Bye. Okay. No. Good night. Good night.